light of God's mercy, grace, and love shining on us would be reflected off of us and would be a witness and a blessing to all those around us. This morning, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. As you're turning there, uh, we'll talk about where we are in the book of Acts. Pentecost has happened. Jesus has already ascended to heaven. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come. The early church is growing. People are being converted, hearing the gospel. Signs and wonders are being done. People are being healed. Opposition is coming as well. And people are boldly speaking in the name of Jesus. And so there's an incredible story that has come along so far. And, and, and the last thing we looked at was the fact that this community was a community of faith that was bound together by sharing. Uh, they shared their faith. They shared their possessions. They shared encouragement with one another. And so when you hear about this wonderful community of faith, you'd almost be tempted to say, wow, that early church was perfect. You know, I mean... We just better just go home because we can't be perfect anymore, and they were perfect. So, But you know what I love about the Bible is all of the imperfections that it reveals. You know, if this book was uh, just a bunch of uh, uh, fake stuff, some stories people made up, they would have written everything to come out just right and just perfect, and everybody got along, but that's not what the Bible records. It records real men and women and boys and girls all walking together through life, and some of them uh, are saints, and some of them are sinners, and all in between, and, and, and there's real struggles in real life. And last week, we talked about an encourager named Barnabas who came and who, um, just as many others were doing, he voluntarily sold some property and, and gave that money to the church to to bless some people who were in need. And, and so there was a lot of good stuff going on, but it wasn't all good stuff. So we kind of see the other side of the story in, in this passage today, uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I want to ask if you would please stand with me, follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen as we read. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? She said, Yes, she, said, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think about 
conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw, what, saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you show us what will happen when we do right, and you also show us what will happen when we do wrong. You make clear that this world we live in, it's messy, and it's difficult, and it's hard. And God, there are reasons, despite the struggle, many, many reasons, to follow you and serve you faithfully. And Lord God, we pray and ask that you would grant us the will and the obedience and the heart to do just that. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's message is entitled Lessons from Liars. Lessons from Liars. What do we possibly learn from a couple of liars? Well, often in life we learn from positive examples of folks that do right and we should follow them and we want to be just like them. But some of the most important lessons in life we learn are those negative examples. We see someone go down a road that we don't want to go, we don't want to end up where they are, and so we learn not to act like them. And so there are some powerful lessons that we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira. We see first that God discovers our corruption. God always discovers our corruption. It's interesting that this story in, uh, in the book of Acts has an Old Testament parallel. Maybe, maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't. But there is a great number of similarities between the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the early church and the story of Achan in the book of Joshua in the, the early days of the Jewish nation. Remember that God had brought his people out of Egypt and he had told them, I've got a promised land for you. You follow me. I'll bless you. I will allow you to take to conquest, to take over that land. This land he described as flowing with milk and honey, a great place. Moses led them out of Egypt. He never got them to the promised land, only to the edge of it. Because of uh, his sin and the sin of the people, they wandered in the desert 40 years. But then his successor, Joshua, came along. And they come into the land, and the first big city is Jericho. And we all remember that story, uh, if we were ever in Bible school or church as a child at all, about the, the great walls of Jericho and how God led them to march around these walls for seven days. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, right? And they defeat that first heathen nation that stood against them and stood against God. And, and they had a mighty conquest, and, and everything was going great. And they had a, their next opponent. You know, really nothing compared to Jericho. They thought, wow, you know, we beat these Jericho guys. We can, man, these, these next guys, this is no big deal. But instead, uh, they get slaughtered. They lose uh, hundreds or thousands of men, and, and they start running back to camp, and they say, what in the world happened? How did this 
occurred to us. We, we thought everything was great. And so God revealed, they start praying to God, God, what's going on here? And God reveals to Joshua, you remember when you went into Jericho and I told you that there's some stuff that you're supposed to leave alone? That that is for me. You just destroy it completely, utterly, let it go. Don't leave any of it. Don't take it for yourselves. Well, guess what? Every single one of you, and I, and I warned you, that if you didn't follow this instruction, that death and destruction was going to come upon the camp of Israel. Well, guess what? There was a man named Achan. And he and his family decided, well, nobody's going to miss this. It's a shame for this to go to waste. I mean, I know God said that for other people, but we really have a special need. And so they took some and they buried it underneath their tent. They sinned against God just for a little bit of money, possessions, gold, whatever it was. And they caused great harm to the nation. In a very similar way, just as the nation of Israel had gotten off to a great start, the church had gotten off to a great start, and people were blessing and loving and giving and doing all these things they ought to do. And here enters Ananias and Sapphira. They are motivated by greed. Uh, they are motivated by corruption. And so their greed in that form of sin leads to another sin in deception as they deceive everyone around them. And God wants to make sure to set an example, to send a message to the early church that this can't be tolerated. And so they walk in, and you know, the, the early church doesn't have to have a bunch of them die first. God has just apparently revealed this to Peter. He's revealed to them the conspiracy. And folks, Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to give the money. They didn't. They chose to do it. They chose to sell it. They chose to give it. And they didn't have to lie about it. But for some reason, they decided that they wanted the glory and the honor of getting of, of this much of giving. And they, they said, oh, we'll, we'll give it all. Maybe they got a better price than they imagined. And they said, well, we'll just keep back a little bit. No one will ever know. God finds out. He sees. When we think no one else is seeing, and maybe no one else but God is seeing, the Bible tells us clearly, be sure your sin will find you out. And so you and I have to consider today, are there hidden sins in our lives? Are there things that we think it's okay because nobody knows, because I haven't told anyone, because no one saw me, or just the two of us know about this, it, it'll never get out, guess what? It's already out to God. He already knows about the sin in your life, how you have been unfaithful to Him. God discovers the corruption, the sin in our life, just as He sees all the good, he also sees the bad, even that which we try to hide. We learn that from these liars, that God discovers our corruption. We also see that God defends his church. God defends his church. Just like God in the Old Testament was not going to let his, the nation of Israel go on as a disobedient body and let corruption grow. 
God said, I'm not going to allow my church, I'm not going to allow the gospel message to be diluted. I'm not going to allow it to be messed up by all of this dishonesty, all this deception, all this sin. Because if Ananias and Sapphira would get away with this, then others would say, well, hey, I, you know, I, I ended up here and I think they kind of got away with a little something. Maybe I should try to get away with a little something. And, you know, people would think that sin in the church was no big deal. We all tend to rationalize, all of us, okay? All of us. We tend to think our thing is, is no big deal. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when I, when I went up to see Jane in the hospital last week, the day she was having her surgery, and, and we were talking about the procedure, you know, whether it was considered minor or major, and I said, well, you know, I've always heard uh, minor surgeries on you, major surgeries on me, right? <laughs> when it's my thing, it's a big deal, my issue. Well, it's kind of reversed when it comes to sin. When I see you doing it, oh, wow, did you hear what he did? But if I do it, well, it's, it's kind of understandable. I've been under a lot of stress, and, and, and you, know, it's, it's, you know, I've got all these mitigating circumstances why my sin is no big deal. And you see, I mean, if you, if you look at this, you could say, well, come on now. They, they still gave to the church. I mean, you know, they sold their property and they gave to the church. What's the big deal? All they did was they just fudged a little bit. They just, you know, God hates lying. He says that Satan is the father of all lies. He cannot stand that sort of deception. Because lying is what tricked Adam and Eve into buying, to sinning in the first place. That deception is at the heart of Satan and all of his work. And you and I are to be characterized as people of the truth. And so we often think, well, it's, it's just words. I didn't punch anybody. I didn't steal anything. Well, they did steal something, but they also lied about it. The, the word that's used in the, the, the biblical word here for holding it back, that ancient Greek word is really the same word for embezzling. That is, when you've taken something, it, it was God's the moment they pledged it to God. And so for them to lie about it and then hold it back, they were, they were stealing. God defends his church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Apostle Paul, uh, talking about those who would tear down the church, he said, those who try to destroy this temple, I will destroy. God takes very seriously. And so you and I need to consider that, not, not just saying, well, we're not going to lie to the church or deceive the church, but before we become troublemakers... You know, I, I've been blessed to never be in, in one of these kind of situations, but I've known friends who are pastors or just members of another church where all of a sudden a church falls apart. It's almost destroyed. It's because somebody has an agenda, and they decide, well, I want my way more than anybody else's way, and if I have to tear people down, if I have to lie, if I have to throw my weight around, whatever I want, I'm going to get it. And they end up destroying a church. And, and, and pastors can do that, and people can do that. Anybody can do that. But God says, look out. 
There are serious consequences when you mess with my church. You and I ought to think twice about that. So from these liars, we learn that God discovers our corruption. We learn that he defends his church. And we learn that God disciplines his children. God disciplines his children. You know, this is very interesting. Um, sometimes we make assumptions when we read the Bible. And I was, as I was studying this passage this week, I realized I had always assumed that Ananias and Sapphira were not real Christians, right? That they weren't believers, that they were, that they were sent in there, you know, wolves among sheep, that they were the fakes. Maybe. But you know, the Bible never tells us that. See, now we know that about Judas, right? We, we don't have to guess. The Bible tells us that Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, the, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that he did not believe. He really was there faking. He really was there going along for the show, stealing the money. You know, he was there for the ride, but he never truly believed in Jesus, the Messiah. But the Bible doesn't tell us that about Ananias and, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, it says, why has Satan filled your heart to do this thing? But I also know that Jesus looked at Peter and said, get, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, Satan can have an influence on our life. That is, when we buy into his way of thinking, the ungodly, worldly ways of thinking, uh, we are influenced by him. And while he could be saying that Ananias are, were demon-possessed, I don't really think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, why have you, as Christians of all people, allowed satanic thinking to fill your hearts? Why have you allowed greed and ungodliness and deception, and you think you're going to come here and conspire against God? How could you do that? Now, God disciplines us in many different forms, many different ways, and some of those disciplines are very mild. But the Bible does say that occasionally, uh, those disciplines can extend all the way even to death. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthian church about the way that they mistreated one another, even in the context of communion, and how they always had a me-first attitude and forget about everybody else, they can kind of look out for themselves. He said, this is why many of you are sick, and even some of you have died. God and the book of Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So often people get a misunderstanding of the gospel, and they think, I pray a prayer, and Jesus is going to save me, and I'm going to go to heaven, and I can do whatever I want now without any consequence, because that's grace. No, that's not grace. That's a total misunderstanding of the gospel. Grace is when we've messed up, and we come to God for his forgiveness. But God says, if you're really my child, if you sin, you will pay for it. Uh, you will be disciplined. Now, I've paid the ultimate uh, penalty. You won't go to hell if you're a believer. But in this life, I'm going to have to correct you. And sometimes, God says, things are so serious that I end up taking a believer on home because they've ended uh, their chances to live for me in this life. You say, Pastor Tim, how often does that happen? I have no idea. 
God never gave us a percentage. He never told us how often. But you know, I, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, well, that happened back then. That would never happen today. Again, part of it's because we think our sin is not all that serious. Uh, people in Peter's day may have thought that too. Oh, that happened to Achan back then. But that's no big deal to me today. But God put an example here in Scripture for us to know how serious it is to sin against His church. So what do we do with this? Knowing that God's going to discover corruption and sin in our lives. Knowing that He's going to defend His church and He's going to discipline His children. I'll tell you the effect that it had on the early church. It said, a fear came upon them and all those who heard it. As we come to church, we're often, we're looking to leave encouraged. Nothing wrong with that. We're looking to leave uplifted. That's a great thing. But there are occasions when we must come to God's Word and we, we should leave sober. There are times when we should say, whoa. Because all of us, inevitably, we drift into getting very casual about God and we, we forget. This is the God of the universe who created all things. This is the God who holds my life in his hand. Life and breath, it's all up to him. I'm not promised another moment. And so, yes, we serve a God full of grace. And yes, he forgives. And yes, God has mercy and all those things. But we can't, we should never get to that place where Ananias and Sapphira did, where we say, you know what? We're good, we're believers. We've accepted Christ. We, we trust in God. And so we'll just step back and do whatever we want to do. Lie and deceive. We need to be serious about God's business and realize He's serious about it. He's serious about holiness in His people and in His church. We need to ask God for forgiveness if we failed Him. If there's a sin we've been holding on to, we need to let go and repent of it. But all of us need to say, God, help me to have the right mindset. God, help me to understand how holy you are and how seriously you take sin. And the fact that you're graceful, merciful, and loving does not mean that you're not a righteous God. Because you may not pass out you may not drop down, but you will face your Lord and Savior one day. If you're an unbeliever, you'll meet him at the great white throne of judgment. And your eternity will be in hell. But even if you are a believer, you will stand before him at what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says one day we will answer for every idle word and deed. We'll come before him and give an accounting of our lives. And so this day, you and I ought to be living in light of that day when we see him again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we can, we can all get very lackadaisical, very casual, 
God, we can get to a place that we don't even take seriously your laws, your commands, your word. Father, I pray that if we were in that type of slumber, that you would awaken us today to the reality that, God, you are loving and merciful, but you are also righteous and just. You are the great lawgiver. You are the great judge. When we stand before you, there will not be any getting off on technicalities. There will not be any suppression of evidence. But, Father, you know it all, not only our deeds, but the motivations behind them. You see through all of our excuses. You see straight to the heart of the matter. God, we pray that that today, God, if we've been cherishing and hiding sin in our hearts, that you'd convict us of that and turn us away from it. 